Coming to you from the middle of the country, a new voice in politics, a show that is breaking away from the two-party system. In the Middle, with your host, Justin Staten. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Happy Tuesday morning to you. I'm glad you made it back for another episode. So what is the cost of patriotism? That's the question I have for you this morning. What's it cost to be a patriot? You know, what what did it cost our founding fathers to be a patriot? Was it scorn? Uh, was it being called radical or set apart? You know, I mean, the government just coined in the last, you know, what, I don't, 20 years, uh, conspiracy theory as being a term. But I bet our founding fathers would have been called conspiracy theorists in every bad name in the book because they were. And, you know, that that's the question I have for you first thing this morning is what is the cost of being a patriot? I mean, a lot of people are afraid to speak out. A lot of people are afraid to speak up. And a lot of people who have larger followings than I do are afraid to do that. So what is the cost you're not willing to bear? Are you afraid it's going to affect your business? Are you afraid it'll affect relationships, friendships, uh, you know, relationships with family members that maybe you'll lose your job? Um, you know, what's the cost? And then after thinking about that, why should that cost even exist? Right? No, and, and stick with me here because this is important. But what's the cost of being a patriot? Should that cost exist in America? Should you be afraid of losing business, losing your job, losing family or friends? Is that, you know, if, if America stands on freedom principles and freedom of speech and, and all of that, should, should there be a cost to being a patriot? Well, in my estimation, there wouldn't be if we were still a free country, right? If we were still a country who believed in freedom principles, there would be no cost uh, to being a patriot. But I think there is now, and I think it's obvious because so many people are afraid to speak out, and I'm speaking to you. So if you're listening to this show, and you're somebody that has a following, and you're worried about being political or getting involved in the conversation publicly about the direction the country is going, we need you. We need you to stand up and say something. Now, I saw a quote from Mark Twain, and it got me thinking about this. And, and he said, in the beginning of a change, the patriot is a scarce man and brave and hated and scorned. When his cause succeeds, the timid join him, for then it costs nothing to be a patriot. Think about that. In the beginning of a change, and I think we're in the beginning of a change here in America, where the American people are done being dictated the worst kind of terms. So I think the change is here. We're ready to take our country back. We're ready to have common sense government less spending, less waste, fraud, and abuse. 
less manipulation, less lies, less self-interest, etc. But it's going to take patriots to make that change. And you're going to be scarce in the beginning. And it, there's going to be few that will step up. And I hope there's more, but in my estimation, I think there's going to be few among us that will step up and lead the charge because you're going to be alone most of the time. You're going to be hated and scorned and called names. But trust me, if you succeed, the timid will join. So step up. Welcome to the show, everybody. I am going to talk a little bit more today about SVB. I think it's important to really understand what's going on there. Um, you know, what really caused the problem? And I, I got into it a little bit yesterday in the show. I'm going to hit on it a little bit more today because I just think it's important to understand how the problem existed. Plus, there's a lot of information being thrown out there on TV shows and in you know, newspapers and in social media, and I'm not going to use the communist Marxist term misinformation, disinformation. They're, they're just factually wrong. Just factually wrong information being put out there. So I, I want to make sure that you guys understand the facts and, and how this rolled out and how the economy actually works. I think it's so important to understand that in order to see how you know, we now witness the second largest bank collapse in American history. Keep in mind, when banks, it's only large and the second largest because of how much money they had on deposits. Well, when we talk about how much money was printed, it's all banks are sitting on more deposits than they were even five years ago, 10 years ago. So it's not a surprise. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to knock over the entire banking industry or the economy. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, but before I get into that, uh, just a continuation from yesterday's housekeeping. I mentioned to you guys yesterday that the, the website was down. Spotify wasn't showing up in the search there anymore. Same with Apple. I've got some good news. The good news is website's back up and running got it fixed. I don't know how it went down. I, I think it was an issue on our end, but it's there. So if you if you want to contact me, contact the show, uh, give suggestions, ideas, feedback, go to the website because there is a contact form there where you can talk directly to me. I will put the website link in the show notes of this episode. Uh, so you can just click on it and go, but it's weinthemiddle.com. That's weinthemiddle.com. You can go there, uh, check out the episodes, and leave me comments. You can you can literally, there's a contact form right on the homepage, comes directly to me. So if you've got ideas, suggestions, feedback, you can use that, and I, I'll read those every day. So that's back up. That's available for you guys. Showing back up in the search in iTunes, which is really good. So that's Apple. It's not iTunes. It's Apple Podcasts. But once upon a time, it was iTunes. So in my old brain, I continue to call it that. But it, Apple Podcasts, back up, running over there. Had another conversation with Spotify this morning. They're giving me the runaround. They can't explain to me. So I found out yesterday, if you search my name, Justin Staten, 
you'll find the show. It'll pull up. But if you search in the middle on, over at Spotify, show is nowhere to be found still. And I tried explaining that to him. And it used to show up in the search feature. And I've had people saying, hey, I'm trying to find it. I, I use Spotify. But when I search the name of the show, it doesn't show up. And so I was on the horn with him again this morning. And by that, I mean a chat, a live chat. And they're still giving me the runaround. They're like, yeah, no, um, it's really more about listener accounts and this and that. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. But like half the shows that show up when you search in the middle haven't posted a new episode in almost two years. I found two of them yesterday that have only ever posted one episode and like one it had posted one episode in 2018, and it's showing up in the search. So I think they're, uh, I think they're officially shadow banning me uh, over there on Spotify because they just don't like the message because they're told by their NGOs uh, that you know you, you can't put that information out there. So, but some good news. I'll keep working on Spotify. If you do want to listen to it on Spotify, though, just head over to the website, weinthemiddle.com. And if you click on shows up at the top left of the website, uh, right down below the, the podcast player, there is a little icon that says, listen on Spotify. And if you click that, it'll take you right to the show. Also, Make sure you're sharing the show. Guys, the show is growing. Um, obviously, we're not the most listened to podcast yet in, in the category. we got a lot of work to do. Um, but share the show. If you got something from the show, made you think, made you laugh, made you cry, uh, share it with somebody. Share it with a friend. Share it on social media. I really want to get this out. Word of mouth is, is the best way to do that. It would mean the world to me. It'll elevate it in the algorithm so other people can find it. Uh, it'll also get other people providing feedback so that I can continuously make the show better. And I want to. So please, please, please share the show. It would mean the world to me. All right, enough on that. Um, the only other thing I'll say before I get on to this SVB thing is uh, I want to give a little bit of a shout out because, you know, I, there are certain states right now that are ranking or ranking, ranking way higher in the downloads and the listens. So I just want to give a shout out to, obviously, Ohio. We're, we're doing pretty good. Uh, but New York, man, New York has become the second largest um, state as far as downloads and listens. So thank you to, to New York. Keep sharing the show. I really appreciate it. Illinois, Michigan, Hawaii, it now made it to the, the top of the list, which is crazy. Pennsylvania, you're still in there. Uh, Texas, Florida, but we've got some new ones, Kentucky, Missouri, Nevada. Uh, and ooh, let's see. Yep. Nope. Those are the ones. So thank you guys. Keep sharing the show. Really appreciate the support. Make sure to leave me some feedback. I would greatly appreciate it. All right. Well, let's get on with this because I, there's so much going on with SVB. There's so many talking heads about the Silicon Valley bank collapse. And I think it's just important to talk about how we got here, right? And because it, if you don't understand the macroeconomics and the microeconomics, you're more susceptible to listening to 
garbage and lies or misdirection or people manipulating the the situation. And of course, a lot of what we've seen lately is that somehow it was Trump's fault that SVB uh, failed and collapsed, which is absurd. And it, it just, you know, and I'm not trying to stick up for Trump. It's just we have to stick to facts and to blame Trump because they're saying, well, he rolled back Dodd-Frank reg regulations back in 2018, and that is true. There were uh, regulations that were rolled back, and I'm going to get into that here in a second. But to imply that it was those regulations that caused SVB to fail are absurd. Because if you look at the SVB situation, and we're going to get into it, um, it, it, that's not the case. SVB didn't fail because Trump and Congress rolled back some Dodd-Frank regulations in 2018. It failed because it mismanaged its risk. It's that simple. Um, and to imply that it was Trump's fault is just disingenuous. It's lazy. And it shows that the current administration and anybody in Congress saying that is inept. They have no... Anybody that's blaming the the previous you know, administration or con over and over and over again just proves they're lazy and they have no stance of their own, right? They have no fresh ideas. They have no new ideas or they simply just don't know the facts. And that's scary either way. So be cautious of people who are just blaming previous administrations. And again, not sticking up for Trump because part of the reason we got here he was involved too, and it had nothing to do with rolling back the regulations. I'm going to get into that. So I just think it's important to understand this. This didn't start with, you know, SVB just one day waking up and saying, ah, we're going to, you know, not pay attention to credit risk. This started with inflation, okay? And this is so important for you guys to understand how the economy as a whole affected this. So, yeah, you have to understand the, ma the macroeconomics here. So inflation played a big role in all of this going down. And, and it could, it very well could affect other banks. A lot of other banks could be in this situation. Now, if it's a smart bank, they've hedged their risk well, unlike SVB, who did not. And Signature Bank went down. There was a few others that... We're on the cusp of going down, and, and this could affect other banks, okay? But here's the problem. The government printed way too much money, and this printing of money happened even when Trump was in office. The reason the government is, was printing so much money was to pay for trillions of dollars of deficit spending. Billions and trillions of deficit spending, meaning the government decided to spend money on programs, defense, discretionary, everything, and they decided to spend more money than what we had. So how does our government work? Well, they just print more money and then borrow more money, and that's how it goes. And the, what started this problem was an 
an egregious amount of money being printed. You know, we printed more money between 2019 and 2021 or 2018 and 2021 than in any time period prior to that. I mean, we printed an exorbitant amount of money. We also kept interest rates really, really low. Artificially, since 2008 and the, the collapse in 08, we've kept interest rates low, which anytime interest rates are low, you can infuse more money into the system. Money is cheaper, right? So we can just, there's plenty of money to go around and it's cheap. Now, sometimes that's done and if done well, it can stimulate an economy, right? We can stimulate an economy. That's typically what it's used for. But to leave it low artificially and just keep printing money for years and years and years and years is going to create a problem. Guys, with every, for every action, there has to be an opposite and equal reaction. <clears throat> and that's what we're seeing. So we printed all this money. Interest rates are low. And then COVID happened, right? And what did we do during COVID? We shut down the economy. So no economy means we're not producing goods and services at a sustainable rate. GDP falls, you know, everything gets affected by that. And what did we do during COVID? We spent and printed more money. I mean, who remembers the trillion dollar COVID bailout plan? We just spent more money. That's what happened. We kept printing money. We kept interest rates low. And the way it works, guys, in the economy is if you've got more money in the system than you do goods or services, inflation happens, right? Simple supply and demand. So when you've got too much money chasing too few goods or services, you end up with inflation. You end up with the prices of things going up. So now there's two ways you can fix that inflation pressure, right? Prices going up, which we saw. You've all witnessed the inflation that we have gone through and are still going through. At one point, it was damn near 9%. And I would argue in some categories, it was closer to 28, 30%. Across the board, total inflation got up to as high as 9%. It's finally settled down around 6%, which is still high. So we've all experienced the inflation, the inflation. You know it happened, but you probably didn't know how it happened. Well, that's how it happened. We printed a crap ton of money. We made money easily accessible, low interest rates, and we shut down our economy. We created fewer goods and services. So to fix that pressure, the inflationary pressure, You've got a couple options. One, you can create more goods and services. So you bolster production. You get companies in America to create more, more goods, more services to dry up or suck in that money and bring prices down. Or number two, you can raise interest rates. Because raising interest rates makes money less accessible, 
kind of dries up the money supply. Well, our government and the Biden administration went with option two. They said, rather than, you know, let's bolstering American production, let's raise interest rates, which to be fair, I'm not necessarily opposed to interest rates going up so that we can dry up some of the money supply and get back to an equilibrium. But I did have a little bit of an exception to how fast they raised interest rates. And so that's what happened. So interest rates went up. Okay, so banks like SVB went out and bought government bonds at lower rates. And then the Fed came out and raised rates and issued new bonds with higher rates, which made bonds at lower rates worth less, okay? Now, that's how the problem at SVB started, okay? This was an inflation problem. This was a government spending and printing money problem. This is the Fed keeping interest rates artificially low for a long period of time problem. And that happened under multiple administrations and Congresses. Now, it was the Biden administration that decided to keep us on lockdowns and keep the economy shut down for way longer than we should have. And a lot of governors across the states, mostly in blue states, that did not help the situation. But the other problem for SVB is because Money was so easy to get, and there was so much of it out there. With their base, customer base, being tech startups, tech companies, et cetera, with IPOs and uh, series raises, seed funding, et cetera, their deposits went up drastically and fast. So they went from having like $50 billion on deposits at their bank in one year. And then the next year, they have like $180 billion on deposits. So where did they screw up? Well, they didn't hedge their risks. Because what's the bank's risk, guys? And stay with me here, because it's important to know how this works so that you aren't susceptible to the talking heads and the, the manipulation tactics of the political parties. Okay, so banks, you go deposit your money with a bank, right? That's a short-term thing, right? So you could go in and deposit $100 today and walk out tomorrow and withdraw your $100. So the bank had on deposit or had a loan to them from you that is short-term, right? That short-term, I can put my money in today. I can take it out tomorrow. I can take it out an hour later if I want to, right? So when a bank takes on deposits, they usually do one of two things with that money. And I talked about this a little bit yesterday. I just didn't get in depth and maybe I should have. But what they do is they either lend that money out in loans to other people and charge an interest rate. And that's how they make their money. They take your deposits, lend them out. They pay you a little bit of interest. They keep interest. They make money. Or they'll go buy secure investments such as government, bonds, treasuries, et cetera, which SVB did. 
The problem with SVB is they took on so much money so fast. It's kind of hard to create 120, 140, 50, 80 billion dollars of loans overnight. And that's essentially what they would have had to do is create a ton of loans super fast. Well, when you do that, most banks understand if, if you're just spitting out loans, the odds that you're making every one of those loans is a good loan are slim to none, right? So you take on risk by lending out money super fast. You, you could end up with a loan portfolio that is garbage, right? So rather than do that, SVB decided to go out and buy government securities, and they were buying these government securities at low interest rates. So when the Fed in the last year raised rates drastically, those government securities that the bank was holding became worth less, not worthless, but just not as valuable as they were prior to. So the other problem is that some of these tech companies were hurting for cash and bleeding cash, so they started making large withdrawals. And when you start making large withdrawals, again, the, money's e the bank has either lent out the money or bought governments. It's not like all the money is sitting there in cash because if they just took your money in and left it there in cash, the bank would cease to exist. It wouldn't make any money. It has to make some money on the money you deposit. So in order to do that, they have to buy something or lend the money out, which goes to somebody else. So it's not sitting at the bank anymore, okay? So when people come in and start making a ton of withdrawals, you got to start liquidating securities or calling loans due, which you can't because it's a legal instrument on a note. You can't just say, oh, because I need the money, I got to call the loan due. So the first step is we got to start liquidating some of these United States uh, securities, some of these bonds. Well, they had to do that at extreme losses because those bonds, why buy a bond that pays 2% when you can buy a bond on the market right now that pays 5 or 6 right, or 4 Of course, you're going to go and buy the larger return. So they had to sell at a loss. That put them in a pickle. Now, SVB has skin in this game. They didn't manage their risk appropriately. So that's their fault. And they should have spent less time working on, you know, ESG and, you know, woke ideologies because they were, they didn't even have a, a credit risk manager at the bank because they were more worried about woke ideas. And I'm, I promise I'm not going to make this all about their woke ideologies. And, but I do believe that was partially what led to their failure because they are asleep at the wheel. They're more worried about gender, misgendering people than managing their risk, which is absurd because now billions of dollars are potentially gone. But that's not the only issue. Yes, SVP screwed the pooch and they should pay the price. But this started because our government is driving the bus, spending money, printing money, keeping stuff artificially low creating crazy inflation. And I said this in a previous episode. Government is the problem, guys. Government is every macro problem we have in America was created by our government. And it's hilarious that they create these problems and then turn around and swoop in and say, oh, 
We're going to solve this problem. And they blame everybody but themselves. Just like blaming Trump of that he rolled back Dodd-Frank crap, and that's what caused this, which is simply not true. What caused this was crazy inflation, crazy money printing, this bank taking on billions of new deposits because money is so freely available, and then not hedging their risk properly. That's what, that's what caused this. It wasn't because of the Dodd-Frank Act. And I'm going to talk about that here in a second on what was specifically rolled back. But you have to understand when you see congressmen and Joe Biden's administration out there saying, oh, we're going to fix this now. We, we didn't cause the problem, but we're going to fix it. They're lying. They're misleading. They did cause the problem. Government is the problem. And they will never have the solution. And I'm going to show you why they will never have the solution. The solution is always going to be taking from you. Not holding anybody accountable for what actually went wrong and what caused the issue. Nope, not going to do that. We're not going to hold people accountable. We're just going to take from you. And we're going to disguise it in a way where it doesn't look like we're taking it from you, but we're solving the problem that we created and we're not taking from you, except we are. And I'm going to show you this sleight of hand because a lot of you out there and some of what I talked about yesterday, just don't think this shit is real. Government causes the problem, then comes in and offers a solution. But the only solution ever is to take more money from you. That is always the solution. They just disguise the solution as something other than that. But that is all it is. So government, again, just to recap, created trillions of dollars into the system, put it in the system, made money cheap, kept interest rates low. So money flooded the system. Then we shut down the economy. We had fewer goods and services. That more money chasing fewer goods and services created inflation, okay? Simple economics. So prices are going up. To fix that, we can either bolster production, which we chose not to do because we want to buy all of our crap from overseas. And the only thing we sell now, apparently, in America is technology, technology companies, the irony of that with SVB being the one that failed, we just want to sell social media and uh, chat GBT, GPT, whatever. We don't want to create more manufacturing, more uh, you know, companies that provide services here in, in America. We, we just want to buy our crap as cheap as we can overseas. So we're not bolstering production, which we should. We're going to raise interest rates. That was the decision. Well... All the banks that went out and buy government bonds at lower rates now took a hit to their balance sheet because now the, the stuff that they bought is not worth as much as the stuff that you can currently buy. That's the problem. Government was the problem. SVB is the problem in the sense that they didn't hedge their risk appropriately. It had nothing to do with Trump or anybody else 
That's what, I mean, Trump has a hand in this because he also allowed interest rates to stay low and money to be printed on unprecedented levels. So he's just as guilty of that as Biden, Obama, and Bush. That's real. And so is every Congress that was there when Bush, Obama, Trump, and Biden were there. They're all guilty of this. Every Fed chairman, every uh, Department of Treasury person, every Cong- all of them are all guilty of this. They are the reason we are in the problem that we are in right now. And they are not the solution. So everybody's been asking for a bailout and the government has signaled as much. Now, to be clear, they're not saying, oh, we're going to bail them out and bail out as SVB. What they're saying is you don't have to worry about your deposits. If you had deposits there, you're going to be fine. Um, and it was embarrassing because Joe Biden came out for like a whole two minutes and said, hey, guys, everything's fine. They had to probably pump him full of who knows what to get him out there. He looked awful. Just I mean, I'm not trying to be catty, but he did. He just looked physically bad when he gave that that little speech there. And he took no questions and stumbled off um, and uh, fought with the door for a couple minutes and then left, took no questions. But he basically said, hey, guys, everything's going to be fine. My administration acted quickly, yada, yada, yada. And if this that didn't give you confidence, his former press secretary uh, went on MSNBC, Paskey, or yeah, however you say her name, uh, you know, we, we remember her, uh, came on, went on NBC, MSNBC and said, hey, you know, this is kind of important, guys. I mean, President Biden does nothing at 9 a.m. He, he's a night owl. So the fact that he came out at 9 a.m. and said it's going to be okay means he's on top of it. What, what do you mean he doesn't do anything before? So is like Biden's just sleeping in till noon? Well, who's running the country from 8 a.m. to or 7 a.m. to guys like she was literally on national television. He does nothing at 9 a.m. Go look it up. I I was embarrassed. I'm like, did she really just say that we should have more confidence because you're saying he does nothing at 9 a.m. and he's a night owl. Gosh, garbage, guys. But anyway, he comes out and he says, hey. If you got deposits, you don't have to worry. The banking system's not going to collapse. And I actually agree. I don't think the banking system is going to collapse from this. The banking system is worth trillions and trillions. Like 19, 30. I mean, it's somewhere between 19 and 30 trillion dollars is what the banking system in America is worth. I think there's something like 19 or 20 trillion on deposit in American banks. This bank is a $180 billion bank. Drop in the bucket. So I also agree. I don't think I don't think you should run on the bank. I don't think you should run and get your money out. Um, I mean, if you're an SVB customer, maybe. But other banks are fine. They're not in this same boat. Some may have bought treasuries, but they also probably manage their risk better. Their short-term to long-term risk. So what was Biden's fix for this. This is what I mean by the sleight of hand. They cause the problem. They swoop in, tell you they have magically the solution to the problem, and it's not going to cost you a thing. Bull. Because they the money has to come 
from somewhere, guys. I know that we have a magical printing press, but the government only gets its money from us, or they borrow it. There's, that's like the only two sources. Yes, they charge fees and for certain governmental services, but it's a fraction of the income. So it comes from us. So what Biden say? Um, well, it's don't worry about it. If you had accounts at Silicon Valley Bank or Signature Bank, breathe easy because we're going to take care of you and it won't cost taxpayers a dime. But you know what he's proposing? The Biden admin is proposing to impose a special assessment, and I'm using air quotes here, special assessments. Guys, that's code for fees on banks across the country to pay for the SVB bailout. So in order for it to not cost you, the American taxpayers, right? Because guys, the Democrats can't, Democrats, and some of them are, cannot now say, oh, we want to bail out a bank because they've always been the anti-Wall Street crowd. They've always been the anti-corporate whatever. And they know that they've already stepped in it so many times in the last year by supporting foreign wars and the industrial military complex and supporting censorship of journalists and everybody else and the American people through social media companies like Twitter. They've already proven they choose politics over principles every day. And they've stepped in it. So now they're going to come out and go on record as being, you know, the party that bails out banks. That might be taking it too far. And they, guys, they got an election coming up. So they, they can't also come out and say, and some are, just for the record, some are coming out and say, yeah, we should bail them out. It's funny, just proves that it's politics over principles every time. And the politics, guys, is special interest, their own self-interest. So when you hear me say politics, we're talking about their self-interest. They have no principles. So Biden's coming out and saying, it's not going to cost you guys a dime. We're just going to create this special assessment that banks across the country will pay. And so the banking industry will bail out SVB. Guys, let me be the first to tell you, businesses do not take on extra fees or special assessments imposed on them by the government without passing it on to their customers. Because trust me when I say, just like you, the banks do not want to pay to bail out another bank who didn't manage its finances well. So this special assessment, i.e. fee, it's a fee, guys, that they're going to charge all banks across America the banks are going to pass on to you, guaranteed. So you will pay it. It just won't be through taxes. Your, your bank will raise its fees to you for your checking and savings account or CDs to pay for it because they're not going to let it cut into their margins. It's just not how it works. This goes back to what I was saying yesterday about being able to see reality. And there's nothing evil about it. You know, when you run a company, you don't want your margins to be cut. 
because you still have to pay payroll and pay your expenses and all this. And now I have to pay a special assessment for a bank that didn't manage itself well. Now I'm not doing that. And if I have to do it, I'm going to disperse it over my customer base and add it to my pricing because I can't let it cut my margins. If I do, then we are now running the risk of losing money or making less. Businesses don't do that. Businesses are not in business to lose money. So of course they're going to pass it on to their customers. So you, by proxy, will pay to bail out this bank and Signature Bank and all the other ones that may tumble. Sleight of hand, guys. Oh, it's not going to cost taxpayers a dime. Yes, it will. What he's saying is we're just not going to pass. We're not going to use your tax money to go bail them out because then we support bailing out banks. And we've already crossed the line too many times showing people that we choose politics over principles. We can't keep adding to that. Otherwise, we'll never get elected again. And they're right because they shouldn't. And here's the final thing that I want to mention. This Dodd-Frank regulation that everybody is saying is Trump's fault that this bank failed. So let's just real quick dive into that. Yes, in 2018, Congress passed and Trump signed a, a bill that rolled back certain bank regulations that were created through the Dodd-Frank Act. Okay, but here's the thing. All the, the, the biggest rollback was that there were restrictions on banks and it raised the threshold. There was restrictions on like reporting and like this living wills uh, thing, uh, stress testing for the banks. Because if you guys remember back the too big to fail, when the whole 2008 crisis happened, we, we determined that there are certain banks that hold so many deposits, they are too big to fail. Like they cannot fail because them failing will undermine the entire system and the entire system could collapse if one failed. So they said, hey, they're in order, like basically they were rubber stamping and saying, you have the guarantee of the American people that if you get into a crisis, we will bail you out because you're too big to fail. However, in order to prevent a future financial system failure and crisis, you're going to have to undergo regulations, which include you know, stress testing, uh, paying attention to your deposits, your credit risk, um, all of that. And it was a lot of regulations. So for a large bank, you know, it, they have millions of billions of dollars. They can have as many compliance officers, attorneys, and whatever that they want. So it's easy for them to keep up with the compliances. However, it was not easy for middle American banks and small regional banks to keep up with all the regulation. And it was quite unfair to say, hey, your regional bank, like my bank, the bank I work with, who has a billion dollars maybe on deposits versus $100 billion or even $5 billion, or $250 billion or more, which the big banks typically have, they should not have to keep up with the same regulatory requirements like the stress testing and the too big to fail um, regulations because they're a smaller bank. They don't make as much money. They don't have 
the teams of lawyers and compliance officers and staff that the large banks do. And it created an unfair advantage for the large banks. And what started happening after Dodd-Frank is a lot of these smaller banks and regional banks, and just think back, how many banks in your community were bought out by a larger bank? Because that's what started happening. They couldn't keep up with the same regulatory requirements as the big banks. So they started getting gobbled up, which when they get gobbled up, that's, that's less options for us. It's, it's worse for the market. Monopolies are not a good thing for an efficient market. Competition is a good thing. But these smaller banks started getting gobbled up because they couldn't keep up with the regulations anymore. It, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze anymore. And we've seen that. You've seen it. You've seen it in your hometown, guaranteed. There, there used to be this hometown savings bank, and it's gone. It's now a bigger regional bank or a national bank came in and swooped it up. And that was unfair to these smaller banks. That like, And it gave the bigger banks an unfair advantage. And it's, it's like they're not on the same playing field, so you can't make them play by the same set of rules. It would, it's the equivalent of putting a college football team on the field with a Pop Warner peewee football team and saying, hey, you guys got to play by the same set of rules. Who's going to win? It's obvious. That was the equivalent. So the thing that was rolled back was the threshold to, to have to do some of this extra strenuous uh, regulation or regulation compliance, I should say. So they rolled it back. So they said, hey, the threshold $250 billion um, from $50 billion under which banks are deemed too important to the financial system to fail. So they basically, they rolled, so if you didn't have, you know, $250 billion, you, you, you could not fall under some of those regulations and compliances, like the stress testing, et cetera. It also just so happened that at the time, the CEO of SVB was one of the biggest proponents of that rollback. But keep in mind, in 2018, SVB didn't have a fraction of the deposits they had last Thursday when they collapsed. Not even close. They literally overnight, quite literally, and you can go look at the chart of their deposits. It's out there. Just Google it. Their deposits went up overnight, like immediately. So back when they were arguing for this rollback, they were a small middle, middle America regional bank that was having a hard time keeping up with the compliance and competing with larger banks. And when their deposits started to increase, where they screwed up is they weren't prepared and they didn't manage the risk well. But that's on them. I guarantee if my bank here in Ohio started getting deposits like that bank, because I know my bank, I know the CEO, I know our commercial loan officer, I know the, the board and how serious they are about running a good bank, they would make sure they had compliance in place if their deposits went up. I doubt they'd be worried about wokeism and making sure they had diversity and equity and, you know, that they were saving the planet. Um, 
I don't think that would be they would choose that and spending five billion on that, which SVB did, rather than a compliance officer or a, a, a credit risk officer, I should say. They would make sure that they keep everything good, that their risk would be offset, guaranteed. That's where SVB failed. It wasn't because they weren't falling under Dodd-Frank that they failed. It was an internal failure that started with the government and the inflation and the artificial low interest rates. So there should be no bailout, and America should not be paying for it. It sucks, and it's sad, and I hate that good people will be affected, but we cannot be in the business of bailing everybody out who makes bad business decisions, and we shouldn't look to this inept government to offer the solution because they're the ones who got us here in the first place through their reckless spending and money printing and, and keeping interest rates artificially low. They're the reason for the problem. And it's important that you guys understand that. And hopefully you do. And I just wanted to spend a little extra time on that today, kind of going over the details, because I've seen so much coming out on TV and on social media, and it's like, man, a lot of these so-called smart people in Congress, some of these politicians, and you can tell they're, they're not smart. It's politics over principles and uh, politics over intelligence every time because it can't be that dumb that they don't even understand how the economy works, how inflation happens, how to combat inflation, and what the potential downfalls are when you combat inflation, especially if your only tool is to raise interest rates, you know, we should have been slowly raising interest rates and simultaneously bolstering production. Well, how do you bolster production? You relieve some regulations. You invest, instead of sending $120 billion to Ukraine, you do it right here in America to support manufacturing and building more manufacturing back here in America. That's one thing you could do to bolster production. You add increased tariffs on goods and services coming into the United States from other country. Because then we're not getting all the cheap crap, which we get no credit for the production. The money goes somewhere else, guys. If it's being built in China or Vietnam or Indonesia or India, the money's going to go there, not here. So we should have bolstered production as well as raised interest rates. But don't for a second sit there and think, oh, the government didn't have anything to do with this. My party had nothing to do with this. It was the other party. It's not true. Not true. They all had something to do with this. And I'm going to finish with, with the whole notion of if you find yourself, guys, being that person that literally puts politics before principles, then you're just as bad as they are. You are. So for an example of this, if, you know, a year ago, six months ago, five years ago, you were against endless wars, the wars in general, the industrial war complex, you were Occupy Wall Street type, and you were hitting all those talking points, anti-capitalists, all that, and now... 
you support the war in Ukraine endlessly, sending billions of dollars in ammunition and guns and equipment because you buy the narrative that if Ukraine doesn't fight, we do. We'll have to. If you're supporting the bailout of banks because your party says to, or that we should help SVB when you are an Occupy Wall Street, then you're, you, you put politics before principles. And going back to the Patriot thing that I mentioned at the top of the show, what is the cost? Why, why should there even be a cost of being a patriotic American in America? It should be the norm. There shouldn't be a cost to bear. But there is, all of a sudden, a cost to bear being a patriot in America. That alone should tell you we're not on the right track. And if you're crucifying, if you're one of those people crucifying patriotic um, uh, loving Americans, American loving patriots, if you're one of those that crucifies those people that, that fly the flag and are proud to be an American, you're a politics over principle type of person too. You clearly think you're better than or more highbrowed or smarter or because that's typically the argument I hear. You're desiring to be an elitist to be in that crowd that you just somehow think you know better than everybody else. And you don't. You're not living in reality. You're a useful idiot at best. You're a communist at worst. And there shouldn't be a cost to being a patriot. We shouldn't be putting politics over principles. But yet we do. So if you're one of those people, I want you to really think about that. At what point did you become politics over principle? And I'm going to finish with this. At what point did you forget that we are the ones who hired these people to go work for us in Washington, D.C.? At what point did you forget that you were the boss of these people? They work for you. You pay their salaries. You pay for them to get on Air Force One and fly around the world, or for some department head to get on a private jet with the United States Air Force and fly around, around the country at their leisure. You pay for all the perks, all the benefits, their pension plans, their awesome, amazing insurance that is better than yours, more than likely. You're the boss. At what point did you forget that in America? And the reason I bring it up and ask, why? At what point did you forget you're the boss? Because I'm, I am the boss of people in my company. I am the leader. I am the one in charge. I pay them to work for me. And do you think that I sit around and repeat their talking points? That I regurgitate my employees' talking points? Or that when they tell me I should believe a certain way, I listen? Or do you think it's the other way around? Or do you think that maybe they repeat my talking points and parrot what I say? And that they take my direction? Because they do. Because that's how it's supposed to be. Because I'm the boss. So at what point did you forget that you're the boss? So if you're one of those people 
regurgitating everything these talking heads and these politicians say because you want to try to win some dumb argument at work or at the dinner table with your family on which political narrative is the best or the smartest or the most highbrowed. You've lost the initiative. You are being dictated to by your employees. See, you don't see reality. You see the illusion they want you to see. Because I'll be damned if my employees are going to dictate to me the ideology of my company or how it's going to be run. I like their insight, but at the end of the day, they work for me, not the other way around. And at the end of the day, these politicians, Joe Biden, every person, every bureaucrat in America, every federal agency works for you. But yet they've spun you all up into this frenzy of political narratives. Like somehow you work for them now and you have to take their direction. No, you don't. You're the boss. We collectively are the boss. So at what point did you forget that? When you find yourself parroting and regurgitating their political talking points, when you find yourself sticking up for people like Chuck Schumer, or Lindsey Graham, or Rich McConnell, or AOC, or Nancy Pelosi, or Eric Chartwell, guy who poops his pants and sucks his thumb. Ted Lieu, Jim Jordan. At what point did, did, did you forget the initiative that all those people work for you? So how highly embarrassing like that you, you can't do anything but regurgitate their talking points. Because you don't have an original thought of your own. How embarrassing that you forgot who's who in the equation. And that is why our country is crap right now. Because we've all forgot who's who in this equation. When did your principles take a backseat to their politics? It's a good question. You should probably marinate on that. That's all I got time for today, guys. I got to get going. I uh, went a little bit longer than I wanted to, but hey, I'm super happy to be here with you guys. I'm super happy you came back for another episode, but I have got to get to work. I will be back here with you guys again tomorrow morning, and I cannot wait till then. But until then, guys, have a great American day and take care. All right.